Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two lovely, handsome co-hosts. To my left, Mike Morandi and Dave Glenn, and to my right, Dave Glenn. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. <laughs> On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the film written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Tony Scott, true romance. But before we get into the show, I'd like to say this is the first time you are listening to this show. You can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and uh, you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Did something just buzz? What was that? That was the sump pump. Okay. (laughs) Should I unplug it? Again, for those of you, if you're new, we are in Dave's basement. There's a lot of contraptions down here. There's a lot of things happening. Mike. We are in a soundproof professional studio course, recording course, yeah. this. I yeah. don't know what that that was probably one of the other artists recording in a studio down there. We might, be, Van Halen? That we was might Van Halen. be recording underwater now that I've unplugged the sump pump, so we'll see. Oh, great. <laughs> so we are in it's like the No, we won't. It's fine. It's gonna be like the scene in Titanic where the old couple is just sitting on the bed as the water slowly it's rises. Rising, yeah. I call a little spoon. Okay. So as I mentioned, uh, on today's episode, we are going to be <laughs> discussing True Romance, and uh, let's take a listen to a clip from the trailer now. From the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. A con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? No time, Tom, we gotta go. A call girl. She a four alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in LA, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this wing and a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops, 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Good, that man, guys. I gotta say, every week we just nail on the trailers. It's, <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, and again, the seamlessness of the editing is just so good. It's yeah. good. It's um, good. So this is a Dave choice. Dave suggested that we talked about True Romance. It's a film that came out in 1993, I believe. Yes. Um, and this is an interesting movie because it is the first film, uh, first screenplay that um, Quentin Tarantino, the famous auteur, ever sold. Uh, he also directed a film called Reservoir Dogs that actually came out before this movie, but True, Rom- True Romance was purchased before then. It just took longer to actually make the the actual movie. Um, so he, this is at the start of his, you know huge cinematic career and how influential he's been uh, as a as a voice, as a writer, and it also features Tony Scott when he was at the peak of his Tony Scottness. <laughs> I said that earlier uh, with another director, but uh, we, we've talked about Tony Scott once before in this podcast with his film Top Gun. This is our second Tony Scott movie. The highest we're gun. The highest of guns. And I'm going to go to you first, Dave, because A, you chose this movie, and B, I know you're a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. If I'm not mistaken, Pulp Fiction is your favorite movie of all time, right? All yes. time. Favorite um, movie of all time. And it's I wanna, art. I want to go over to uh, you to <laughs> talk about why I'm guessing you adore this movie to no end. And then I'm going to circle back to Mike afterwards and find out why he thought it was the worst thing ever. And we're going <laughs> to somewhere meet in the middle with me. So, um, Dave. Wow. So you've given everything away. <laughs> well, I, I, I actually don't know your opinions. I'm just assuming. If I was to make a, if I was a betting man, that would you be are. my assumption. So, Dave, why is this the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> well, no, it's definitely not the greatest movie of all time. Pulp Fiction is. But Maybe why you could, uh, and I didn't do a good job setting this up. Uh, the, so, the, what is this movie about? It's a movie about who? Know, who the hell knows? It's about a guy named Clarence who mm-hmm. uh, marries a call girl named Alabama. Mm-hmm. They steal cocaine from her pimp, who, um, and then try to sell it in uh, in L.A. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. While they're uh, hot on the trail, uh, hot in their trail are the owners of said coke. And uh, it all kind of comes to a head in Hollywood. Does that, uh, this, does that is our, this is the second movie in a row when, uh, when our, with our hero going from Detroit 
to Los Angeles. And, sec- and, and same DP. And as on Beverly really? Hills Cop. And, yeah, I did not know that. And also featuring Bronch, uh, Bronson, Bronson, yeah, Bronson Pinchot. Pinchot. Yeah, Bronson Pinchot, yeah. Yes. So uh, a it's lot of Bronson connections. Bronson Pinchot marathon. I mean, what, yeah. what else? Uh, I don't know what else he's been in. Besides. Perfect Strangers next week. Uh, yeah, no, we're not. And not to get into <laughs> too much of a tangent, but he might just be my favorite actor of all time. Just he's going he's great. He's, he's great. amazing. How is he not in every movie? But you know, anyway. You know, I used to think he was British and he was doing an American accent, but no, he's that's really? not true. No, he's, he's not. Oh. He's not. Anyway. I'm just saying I... Back on track, Dave. Sorry. Why what? Is what? So no. I, yes. Where am I? I uh, so I saw so to talk about true romance, I can't talk about this movie without talking about having seen Reservoir Dogs at just the right age, which was when it came out Nine. on video in 1992. And I watched Reservoir Dogs, which we should probably eventually do on this podcast. And I think I watched it every night for maybe a week. It's like after 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 my homework was done, I would just pop on Reservoir Dogs. I think I probably watched it twice in a row once. And it was just the right mix of like, uh, of of style and and like machismo. Is it the word machismo? Machismo. 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 And, and 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 you know, I was really at, uh, my Guns. interest in film was really just starting to peak at that time. You know, then in the early nineties. And so uh, Quentin Tarantino wasn't a famous guy back then. I mean, he wasn't a you know, he's almost. There's, he's one of a handful of directors that are uh, kind of household names, right? You say Tarantino, Spielberg, Hitchcock. Um, there aren't that many other uh, directors where you can just say their name and people know, oh, he's a movie director. Um, so at the time, he wasn't like that. And True Romance was coming out, and I thought, well, uh, I'm part of this small group of people that really knows who this guy is, and, and uh, he's written the screenplay. Are you, are you saying that and you liked Quentin been, Tarantino before he was popular? Before he went That's a lot, yes, that was a long-winded way of saying that uh, Dave I was is cool before you were cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was one of probably just a handful of people in the theater that I went to. to see. <laughs> I saw this. I walked to this movie, saw it in the theater, and then proceeded to buy it on VHS when it came out like a few months later. And uh, watched it quite frequently, you know, over the, you know, probably the next couple years in high school. And, um, you know, I, I didn't... I think I knew it was a good movie back then. I didn't know if it was a great movie. And I'm looking and, and having watched it again, I watched it uh, about a year ago and then I watched it for the podcast uh, a few days ago. Uh, true I, romance. I, think, no, I do, I do still dogs. think it's a pretty good movie. We're, not, we're talking about true romance? At this true point? romance, okay, okay, we're okay. talking about. Right, yeah, right, true, so. true romance at this point, I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, oh, it, it, so right. it still holds up uh, pretty well, I think. There's one scene in this movie that is kind of universally uh, heralded as a classic scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis <laughs> Hopper. And that, I think, is without question uh, a little masterpiece of, of cinema on its own. But the movie uh, by itself, I think. Works for the most part, um, mostly because it's kind of this weird. There's this weird tension between Tony Scott's uh, kind of flashy style that he likes to. He's a little over the top. I mean, we can just say that Tony Scott's style is over the top. If you were to film uh, some of the scenes in True Romance, uh, if Quentin Tarantino were to film them, there would be less cuts. There'd be there were f- fewer mini blinds. There wouldn't be nearly as much smoke. My wife actually watched this with me at this time and said, where's that smoke coming from? I'm like, I don't know. Tony's got just like smoke. You know? <laughs> the entire movie was on fire. But <laughs> um, rampant. But it, so- you know, it sounds, uh, I'm pretty sure they kept in just about all the dialogue that Tarantino wrote. And you can, you know, there's a rhythm to the way he writes um, that is unmistakable, and and, and it, it definitely pops out in this movie. Now, the, the narrative uh, structure of the movie isn't uh, what Tarantino was doing back then. Tony Scott just kind of made it a very linear story about two people finding, uh, you know, uh, finding each other, uh, falling in love. You know, this guy. It's it's almost like an autobiog- uh, autobiography for Quentin Tarantino. Like this is my fantasy male fantasy autobiography. I, I work in a comic book store. You know, in real life, Tarantino worked in a video store. Um, this, this beautiful girl is going to walk into a kung fu movie. I love kung fu movies. She loves kung fu movies. We're going to fall in love overnight. We're going to, you know, you know, obviously Tarantino loves violence. So, you know, he imagines this violent situation where, you know, uh, in this case, Christian Slater has to murder her, murder her, uh, her pimp, steal the things. And, he has to. He has and, to do and, it. And, and that's, you know, that's his way of like, uh, I mean, I was thinking watching this movie, like before he goes to, to see Gary Oldman, who plays the pimp. What would have happened to these two people if he didn't go and steal her things and kill the pimp and they start fleeing across? They probably would have been divorced in like, you know, a month or two. You know, it, it, 
nothing would have happened. You know, something. It's really sad. Dave. Yeah, it's pretty that sad. Is very you know, sad. but this you know, this movie's called True Romance. It, it, it's kind of a the title itself, just like Pulp Fiction, is kind of referencing um, you know uh, very almost pulpy novels and and stories that are pulp very fiction. Would you very, say? Yeah, that are very huh. that are very you know. <laughs> I over, was talking about like orange juice. I you know, I never pure that. adolescent fantasy, but with some really clever, I think, really clever dialogue. And a really amazing cast and some really great acting, I'd say. I mean, it's. I mean, this is. There are so many people in this movie that you're like, oh, were the, they, weren't they famous? The, the cast uh, is, no. They won the cast lottery with yeah. that movie yeah. oh, because they yeah. got every major star before, when they cost like no money. Mm-hmm. We're talking Brad Pitt, James mm-hmm. Gandolfini, Tom Sizemore, uh-huh. Chris Penn, yeah. uh, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper. Like mm-hmm. it's in, Samuel L. Jackson yeah, is Samuel in right. Jackson, Samuel yeah. for ten minutes. Like, no, it, it, it's and Dennis insane. Hopper and Christopher and Christopher Walken were both at that point. Uh, both Probably at least Oscar nominated yeah. actors, so they were like the two people that you know. Besides Christian Slater, who was heavyweights, kind of a like a he was a, a B, at least a B B plus star back Isn't then. Is he I still? Mean, <laughs> I don't know. Christian Slater. Christian yeah, Slater. Like not a, so much. He's like B point five. He's like I think halfway. He's kind of faded a little bit. Yeah, either. yeah. Um, this is definitely when he was kind of at the peak of his popularity. So I was going through his, his filmography. Nothing really stands out. Where uh, I'm like, uh, well, oh, there's yeah. a pump up the pump up the volume, volume. which was pretty good. Really? Heather's uh-huh. is a good movie. Yeah, Heather's also a good movie. That, but. This is right around that time period when he was doing that. And, and then he, he made movies like made Robin lot, Hood. He made a lot of really bad action movies. Yeah. He was in Robin Hood. He was in, which Broken. I think we should do for this podcast. He was oh, in God. Broken Arrow. <laughs> Broken Arrow with he was John movie, Travolta. He was in a movie called Black Rain, I believe, which uh, is another uh, really. Yeah, with Morgan Freeman, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah he's he, kind of faded. He kind of faded away. But overall, I, I think this movie uh, is absolutely worth seeing, especially if. Um, uh, especially for that one scene that we can get to the eggplant scene, uh, the the uh, the Sicilian yeah, eggplant the scene. scene. I mean, there's the, it's right in the middle. I mean, it's and also, I mean, who doesn't want to see James Gandolfini acting when he was like 30? And and uh, yeah. you know that scene between him and Patricia Arquette is is really kind of terrific. I mean, it's it's really violent, but uh, it's uh, you know. It, I'm gonna. I want to pass it on. Gonna, to yeah. So, Mike, yeah, yeah. why is everything Dave said wrong? Go. Okay. Yeah. Actually, you predicted <laughs> this pretty well. <laughs> you you bit the nail on the head. Not my kind of movie. Not, I mean, I. Oh no. Well, however, I will say there's definitely. I think there's some good scenes in. It. Like, yeah. I mean, the Sicilian scene. And this is, by the way, the resident Sicilian at the table here. Um, <laughs> I, I love that scene. <laughs> aside, you know, and words aside, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually. I, I think that that uh, seeing Christopher Walken's reaction to that is like amazing. Like the 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 rage laughter he had, like while the guy's telling him, and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, like I think that whole scene is just phenomenal. And then even when the, you know the, the button on the scene where he's like. I haven't killed anyone since 1984, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and the fact they find the address right on the on the refrigerator the whole time, like, right. Um, but anyway, let, let me back up. Let me back up. Um, big picture. I actually did not even realize until after I was reading up on this afterward. I, I didn't even realize Quentin Tarantino wrote this thing, hmm. and I finished watching the movie. I'm like, God, I don't like this movie just because it reminds me of a Tarantino film. Oh no. <laughs> um, I, I there are parts uh, of it I like. There are parts of it I think that are good, and there are parts that are like genuinely very funny. I just don't. I don't like Tarantino's mixing of comedy and just like ultra violence and like I just don't no, I know like, some people like I know you get to love pulp, it if we get to Pulp Fiction I don't know what we're gonna do oh I, I've seen it yeah same thing I don't I just don't like it's just not for me it's just I think where my values lie I just I don't I don't often think violence is something to joke about um, and clearly I'm in the minority on this one but I, I just I don't know it doesn't work it doesn't do it for me I'd rather see something like that treated with like some levity uh, gravity rather uh, whoops <laughs> that was um, the opposite yep and uh, and whatnot. So just on a philosophical level and an instinctual level, I just didn't. I, I couldn't couldn't get down with it in that way. But um, that being said, I think there's just I think there's a lot of really great acting and character moments, like Brad Pitt as the pothead. Yeah, uh, this is before he was big, right? This is <laughs> no, I feel yeah. like before he was discovered. And yeah, I can't imagine this didn't launch something. I feel like this probably got a lot of eyes on him, and the fact that he was able to take probably what was going to be a two dimensional character on the page mm-hmm. and just put so much like life to it, like. Yeah, you know, I, I, I yeah. he was just very convincing as a stoner, right? <laughs> he was right very, very right. convincing. See the way he says stuff, like the the inflection, like it's just it's he's he's great. Um, yeah, and just seeing all these like James Gandolfini and all these major major players just in one movie. Uh, Gary Oldman was Gary Oldman terrifying. Oh, uh, one one of the best 
small villain parts yeah. of all time. Trivia, trivia, I far. mean, a little bit of trivia. The Elvis, uh, he, oh, you know, he, Elvis Val is played Kilmer. by, is played by Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yeah, because yeah, the whole movie I was waiting around for him because I was telling my girlfriend, like, oh, Val Kilmer, he's a guy from Top Gun. You'll see him. You'll know him when you see him. And then we got yeah. to the end, I was like, where the hell was he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so he was out of focus yeah. so, inside of the frame. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how star-packed this movie is. They can't even give Val Kilmer a and focused he, shot. Right, yeah. right. And this was back when he was kind of a star, too. Exactly. This is after Tombstone, yeah. This is after Top Gun, yes. After Top Gun, around the time of Tombstone, I think. Yeah, yeah. So... Okay, so, so yeah, so, so wrapping it up, I, I I think there's value. You can find value in it. I just don't like Tarantino's style in general, mm-hmm. so it's kind of poisoning my opinion. So. But so as a Tony Scott movie, you still didn't even because the movie originally was going to end with at least one of these characters dying. I mean, and this has yeah, a let, much let, more. Let's hope talk to about that. And I, I, I feel I'm going to circle back to that because I have something yeah. to say about Tony Scott as a director and that ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let me quickly offer my thoughts, especially mm-hmm. in light of what I was just saying. Um, first off, I think that this movie is fascinating from almost like. Um, a psychological perspective in the sense that this is Quentin Tarantino's id on Mm. screen more so than any other movie that he's ever produced or written or been a part of because Clarence is so obviously a surrogate for Quentin Tarantino that it's not even like it's like it's so blatant and I, I almost find it charming it's like almost adorable that like he's crafted how he envisions himself if he were a superhero. Hmm. And his superpower, Clarence's superpowers is that he knows a lot about movies. That's his superpower. That's a a good point. I like that. Because when he has his showdown with Drexel, Drexel, the way he gets the one up on him is that he's seen the movie that's playing in the background and he knows that, (laughs) and then he knows all the references to other movies and he he, he can chat with this Hollywood producer because he knows all about the movie culture and what movies are good and the way he finds out if a girl loves him or not is whether she likes kung fu movies and was willing to see three in a row and um and just the way that alabama looks at christian slater in adoration he's talking about a goddamn comic book with spider-man on it like it's the most important thing ever and i'm like oh quentin you are so precious you know i didn't notice that that is that is good and it's really good and in that respect, I think it's a fascinating portrayal of someone that unrestrained put everything they love on screen, mm-hmm. violence, comic books, a love of movies, Elvis of old Hollywood. I think of- Quentin Tarantino's uh, first on-screen role was on television on the Golden Girls playing Elvis. So there's no doubt that he loves Elvis. Yeah, yeah. he just, <laughs> yeah. I mean. Uh, sorry, an Elvis impersonator. The, the only thing is that Clarence is, the only difference is that Clarence is not an Italian um, Italian American, right. and he's uh, they, he puts his blue collar background when Quentin Tarantino in real life I think was the son of an artist or an mm. art dealer or something who grew up in Hollywood. So he puts this whole blue collar Detroit spin on things. So he wanted to have some street cred. He just wants to. He, yeah, you know, he, gave, he wishes he had. Street he gave cred. his he, alter ego cred. Clarence street cred, which yeah. I think everyone he gave him a more interesting uh, origin story. As well, Tarantino or. didn't grow up rich or anything, but so. he didn't <laughs> grow up as a you know the blue collar son of a father who lived in a trailer park outside right. of Detroit. Right. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I think the movie's fascinating. I think it's populated with some of the greatest individual scenes of any movie. I mm-hmm. think that the way that Tarantino structures a dialogue scene, I think so many people have tried and failed to copy this. Have you seen this movie before? Or was yeah, this I've one? seen okay. this before. Okay. Uh, it's been a while, though. Okay. It's been at least like five or maybe almost ten years maybe okay. uh, since I've last seen it. So it's five been, or ten. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I think it's great. It's the weirdest movie ever, though. If I were to try to explain this to like your <laughs> yeah. ca- average casual moviegoer, it's so strange because you have characters that are given in are given a lot of um, individual scene screen time, but aren't that important to the entire plot. You get this you get this odd sense of backstory and camaraderie for almost every character in the movie, like but Michael Rappaport, and, like uh, Michael Rappaport, like the two poli- <laughs> like the two police detectives that are just introduced at the end, like so towards great. the end of the movie. Yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. There's so great. a scene when they yeah. walk into. Um, the police chief's office and he's like, my partner and I or so-and-so and my partner. And it's like that little kind of thing. Well, you two idiots shut up. I can't hear shit. I mean, it's the way that the guy talks. But, but, but is so like, great. It's just that kind of thing. It's just like in any other movie, these would have just been stock police care, you know? Yeah. Police yeah. Guys. But no, they're, they're, they're given this kind of weird semblance of development, and I won't say that they're deeply developed. You don't know tons of their backstory. But they're developed but can, enough where you, I, 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 like, even there's, at just, the end, little, there's just little dialogue moments, like when Chris, when uh, Chris Penn says something and Tom Sizemore corrects him, or the way exactly. he says, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, and I, he's like, or, or something like that. He's like, and me, or and I, and I, exactly <laughs> that kind of stuff. And is, even just when he's listening in on, on the wire, and he's just like, I love this guy. Listen to him. This guy's great. And again, that feeds into the whole ego of Quentin Tarantino because everyone, everyone loves effing him. loves Clarence. 
in this movie. Him, yeah. The police think he's cool. The the um, the uh, Hollywood guy, the the Hollywood executive thinks he's cool. Mm-hmm. Alabama adores him and worships him. Everyone, yeah. everyone is somewhat fascinated by him. Yeah, and it, 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 and this is uh, you know it comes to its precipice. I guess, or it come to its it comes to its the head. The only one, maybe Gary Oldman is the only one who kind of sees. But even then, <laughs> Gary he Oldman, him. he thinks he underestimates him, and then he realizes that really Clarence, is, you know, has been you know reading him kind of right the entire time. Mm. So even even Gary Oldman's character comes to that resolution because he shoots him in the dick. But <laughs> <laughs> what what greater way to get a man's respect by shooting him in the dick? But <laughs> the 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 uh, the most. If I was to set, represent a symbol of this movie uh, that represents that says everything that this movie is about, it's Alabama writing "You're so cool", cool. on a cocktail napkin. Yeah. yeah, because that represents everything that Quentin Tarantino thinks about Clarence as a character. God, he thinks he's cool, and he's so cool. And whether or not you like this movie comes entirely down to whether or not you get on board with that. I feel like, and mm-hmm. if you don't, I think this movie could be incredibly annoying. You could be like, well, it's unrealistic that they would fall in love, and this this isn't. A real relationship, and I would argue that's not really the point. I don't think it's meant to feel authentic or real. I just think it's Definitely meant to not. be kind of interesting okay, so here, or engaging. And, and for for the okay, so in in you know podcasts of yore, I think I had always said like, oh, they fell in love too too quickly and too easily. It didn't make sense. That was I, almost I, part I, of the point here, right, though. No, no, but this movie that didn't bother me. That I mm. kind of was on board with that. That's fine. Okay, that, that's that's you know that's part of like that's that's the premise of the movie. If you, if you don't buy that, whatever. Mm, right. That part I didn't mind. What I hated was I I Claire, why is Clarence okay? So he accidentally I'm assuming he accidentally got the cocaine right. He didn't mm-hmm. mean to do that. He was trying to get her clothes. Got her he, clothes. Right. Yeah, he accidentally gets the. Cocaine. So why like. You think about, like, why was he trying to sell this stuff for money? I mean, I get that, right? But think about what that caused. How many deaths, the death of his own father. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it? His father died um, uh, honorably mm-hmm. so that his son could sell cocaine. <laughs> well, and yeah, but, he did, million but, dollars. but his father didn't know that he had cocaine. Right, but the point I'm making is the fact, end of the day, your father died because you were trying to sell cocaine, some other gangster's cocaine. But he did but at no that, point in the no, movie, no, no. we, we I'm don't. Not, put, I'm not putting the blame on the father. I'm, putting I'm the blame saying on Clarence on. never knows if his father is dead or not. I know. The he point I'm making. No the point I'm making though is it's hard for me to root for somebody when mm-hmm. he's trying. Like I don't know. I just feel like if you want me to like this guy, like don't sell the coke. Don't try to get like blood. My, I don't know. I it just never <laughs> sat right with me. And you think the death toll is rising. You're like because you just freaking let the cocaine go instead of trying to deal it with to somebody mm-hmm. and putting it back in the world just like burn it i, I don't know no I, I, thing, I, like I, so in this world what would these characters do and i was thinking about to, that i'm like to, i don't know what you can't go back and return it and be like right. oh sorry guys like, <laughs> this up. well I, I think you just leave it behind and you get the hell out of there i just don't i i, I it's i think the larger issue is whether or not you get on board with this odd realm that this movie exists in like because it's not no, real, it it's not quite fake. It's obviously handles violence in a way that is visceral and kind of disturbing. Like it doesn't shy away from it. It wants you, I feel like, to flinch a little bit when it, it with endearing these scenes. I don't think it's reveling in the violence. I I, I mean you may disagree oh, with me. Oh no, I think it does. No, definitely not. I don't think it revels. Definitely so. No, I would say. I okay, you're, so you're going to tell so me that the scene, so the scene in mean? Alabama where she's when she's brutally murdering. You're telling me they could they couldn't have cut that sooner. That went on for so long. That's that, rebel. That is that, the depth. A shootout, a Mexican standoff of like 30 people in a room shooting at each other with blood spurting everywhere. That's well, not reveling in I violence. I think that the, the Alabama <laughs> scene, let, let's go to the Alabama scene because that, I would argue, serves a lot of character development because it shows how hard she is and how hard and how far she's willing to go not to turn on Clarence and the other people. Like it shows a huge amount of fortitude that you wouldn't expect from someone who supposedly they just met a week ago. Right, and right, right. It, probably the whole time in this movie you're questioning how into him is she really? And I think that that scene proves that she's true, in fact true. True. That's on, at true. that point. But, but again, that's that my argument was like cut it sooner. Like, you know, if her if you, I think you show that in the first half of that scene with the fact that she's getting she's getting beat and she's basically going to be killed and she doesn't back down. I like that aspect of it. Then when she goes into an animal and starts, you know, <laughs> I'm like, all right, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so you're talking about, so we're talking about the scene in which uh, James Gandolfini is waiting w- for James Gandolfini plays one of the gangsters that is uh, looking for the coke. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They, he shows up at their hotel room when Christian Slick, when Clarence is, is not there, right? So they, uh, she tries what you would normally, what someone like her would probably try, which is to act dumb and, and flirt with him. And then it doesn't right. work. And then they end up in these, uh, in this violent battle to the death. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it, yes, they could cut sooner, but I mean, the way the scene progressed, I, I mean, I felt like um, 
Catharsis. It, it, the, yeah, but I guess so. But I mean, I know that there are different ways that this scene could be filmed. And I know Tarantino has this way of filming scenes that are actually, they're more uh, succinct. They're faster. He wouldn't use slow motion. Uh, he films things in a much different way. They're usually shocking, but also kind of fast. And uh, they're usually more about the aftermath or, or or the leading up to violence rather than the violence itself. In this case, you're seeing a lot of uh, of Tony Scott do, I think, what he's good at, which is making things look cool. Like, you know, the way he films exact, things. Okay, go right. Ahead, so maybe so maybe in that sense it is reveling in the violence, but I think it's reveling in everything. I don't think the violence stands out. I think but, I think this movie just this is, makes everything look like kind of like cool and candy yes and, and yes exactly and that's i think what bothers me is not so much because i see i see violence all the time in movies there's movies right. that do it right and, and i think there's definitely a, a place for it where you have it in there right mm-hmm. graphic stuff having things in there for specific reasons i would even say reservoir dogs doesn't feel that way to me i, th- I like reservoir dogs actually. right well i'm saying he films R- violence I, much I, different right 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 so the point i'm making is that I, I think what rubs me the wrong way about violence in movies is when it's done for a flippant reason or it's done for in this movie. I feel like it's done because you want to think that this person is cool, and that for me, it's just like you're so cool is not profound enough for me to really sit down and watch someone blow somebody away or beat whatever the heck she does. Well, maybe the director. Maybe you're th- you're saying that the director is saying, "Look how cool I am from the way I film the scene." No, no, I'm talking. I, I think what. So what is like? I, I think about like what is all of violence serving this movie? What is the overall message? And it doesn't necessarily think of, it, it does. It's not really love for me. It doesn't. I, true romance, I, I think, is ironic. I think you're right, Mike, and I think that's where the movie falls apart. I don't think. That that at the end of the day, I don't get what you're supposed to take away from the movie. Mm-hmm. And I could argue that I can make that leap for all the other Tarantino canon. Like I could talk about what Pulp Fiction is saying and I can talk about um, what Reservoir Dogs or even a movie like Inglorious Bastards is saying. Mm-hmm. But I feel like True Romance, at the end of it, it feels a bit empty. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Tony Scott directed this movie and not Quentin Tarantino. And and this is, has to do with spatial awareness and scenes. It has to do with how the violence is handled um, cinematically mm-hmm. um like a huge example for me is the drexel scene which is an action set piece i would argue is horribly filmed i have no idea the geography of that scene i don't know where anybody is i don't know there's people like you there's, there's cutaways to people getting hit with stuff mm-hmm. um but if if tarantino shoots that scene you know where everybody is mm-hmm. and it's faster paced right. and it's more intense right. and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's a it's a better shot sequence tony scott's shot it like a 90s movie he shot right. it like a 90s action movie mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah. i think that just goes to show you his limitations as a filmmaker um Versus Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And this is just... Uh, yeah, no, I, I said this was a pretty good movie. I didn't say this was a masterpiece, for sure. By, by no means am I going to defend this as, like, a movie that you take away uh, and, it, and it sticks with you. And, and you're, you know, you're not going to learn any life lessons. And there's no doubt about that. But I think this movie comes... What, what I take away from this movie is that it's, uh, it's a really good time. I mean, and it's a, and it's a, it's a movie where uh, our people are kind of working at the top of their craft. You know, sure. Even Tony Scott. You and know. you, okay, I mean, I, I don't have this experience. I can't go back to this moment. But in 1993, when movies like this, movies were not like this, mm-hmm. I would have been blown away by this movie just because every scene feels distinct. I guess and that's why, why. And like, it felt that way to me. Yeah. I, yeah, I just feel like every interaction in the movie, and whether or not, it, I don't, hmm, this, I think this is a film where the parts are better than the whole. Like, I think individual okay, yes, scenes agree. are yeah, amazing. Yeah, but when you put it all together, you're like, yeah, but what was that really about? Right. Is it is it really a love story? Is it, are we supposed to really feel something for these two characters, like an aw shucks romance? Is that what you get from this, Dave? Or yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess for me, I mean, the romance worked at least when I was in high school. I mean, I I, I could uh, I could put myself in this character's situation. I thought Quentin Tarantino was cool. I thought this character was cool. Um, so I mean, it was easy for me to just kind of slip right in and 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 just kind of uh, you know violence never has never bothered me so it, that that wasn't an issue but um and I can see how at the end of the day when you you know at, at the end of the story it's two people uh it's a uh, you know it's a, it's like a, a new t- kind of a newer take on Bonnie and Clyde where two criminals you know you're supposed you're they romanticize the story of two criminals and um I think he was probably maybe maybe with the original screenplay going for something a little deeper than what actually came came out in the actual uh, final version of this movie. It's possible, um, I, and, but, I th- but, and I think uh, so because I think what's his he, so originally I think Quentin Tarantino intended for Clarence to die, right? So which I think was a stronger, much stronger choice because I feel like that kind of 
gives a puts a sober cap on the end of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. So the person who I feel like is just like, yeah, violence. Let's just go across the country and blow people away. Mm-hmm. Well, there's consequences that the things people die. People they yeah. didn't really do that though. I mean, Christian Slater killed Gary Oldman. Here's this is and that okay. was about it. And then she right, killed right. James, so, the guy who was trying to kill her, and that was it. For but them. here's the other thing. He, so he he went and killed a pimp that he really didn't have to kill. I mean, you can make the argument he did because eventually it could have caught up to them, right? It, it, it came out right. to be more of a self defense situation. But I, I'm sure it, he it was seemed happy. to be more of a pride thing. Like, right. you know what? I can't handle the fact that you owned my girlfriend so now I'm gonna go kill you right so part of me is almost like well that's not something you do if you like loving someone does not result in that I would say a quote unquote true romance has nothing to do with it secondly um if you truly love somebody, why are you bringing them into harm's way by taking them with you to a coke deal? Well, that why is he even involved well, that brings up, at all? That brings up the issue, especially that, after that you're she not gets really... hunted down at the at the hotel and almost dies, and right. is completely. And he's like, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." At that point, if you really care about that, and you kind of get that rude awakening, you drop the whole thing and you get the hell out of there. You don't keep going ahead with the plan. Right. That's what bothers me. <laughs> it's the it's the same syndrome, the same problem I have with the. Um, but you're like uh, the dad of this movie. Like the movie wouldn't be interesting if it, if, if this is what happened. Like. If, if, yeah, if sure. It wouldn't be interesting. <laughs> I, interest is has a certain purpose, but it's not. I don't like things just because. Oh, it's new and different. And it's titillating. Right. I don't think there's that's for me. That's not what I get out of movies. And I have the same problem with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller is an asshole, and like <laughs> I just he treats his friends like crap, and everyone loves him because he's a cool character. But, but Christian Slater, the character, doesn't treat anybody like crap. Not not just, not outright. No, no, not not to not the way not the way Ferris Bueller does it. But I feel like at the end of the day, there's ways like. I, he kind of gets... He's kind of a happy-go-lucky guy who just... And this is the issue we're not really talking about, is that you're saying it's a Quentin Tarantino, uh, Tarantino surrogate. He's a little bit of a sociopath, psychopath. I mean, he's, he's not... You don't he's think not, Quentin Tarantino is a little bit of a sociopath? <laughs> no, not, <laughs> not in reality. I think Not clinically, No, no, maybe, no but. not clinically. But I think this character is supposed to be <laughs> but clinically yeah, but a yeah. little insane. I mean, it's... it's. Uh, I guess I'm, I think that... I just feel like Quentin Tarantino may be one of the strangest humans on the planet. Like, <laughs> I don't know him, but I mean, from seeing him in interviews, I think he's just a... He's just a, he's a strange guy, but he's also he's also he's also kind of a genius, you know. So I no, mean, I mean, I think that he has to be that strange to be as much of a genius as he is. Right. I, I don't think you can be totally normal and be a genius right. like he is. I, right? I, how do you think of this stuff? Like you have to be a little I bit out there, right? Yeah. Um, so a couple things I want to discuss. Um, you know, let's talk about the eggplant scene before we get too far away. <laughs> okay, so how does this scene happen? Well, I want to, I want to, I mean... Can you recite it for us? I, I'm not going to go there. I used to be able to recite, like, <laughs> major chunks of this movie. In well, my... this, I mean, this is a, fam- <laughs> a fa- very, very famous scene um, where Dennis Hopper, playing Clarence's father, um, basically won't give up where his son is and essentially tells the origin of Sicilians, relates them to African-Americans, but does not call them that, calls them a very significant slang word. It's an interrogation It's scene. an interrogation sequence. Right, so, and, and again, it's important to note that right previously, right before the scene, ha- like right before he goes into this monologue, um, uh, Christopher Walken tells, asks him where his son is, he doesn't, he, tell, he lies to him, and he says, look, I have 12 ways of knowing when people are lying. So then in response, Dennis Hopper's response is, okay, well, actually, did you know this? And starts telling him an ugly truth, and so about where the the origin of the Sicilians came from. Right. They were conquered by the Moors uh, mm-hmm. from North Africa, so that every Sicilian has um, African blood in him, and, and something that that this racist Sicilian course, doesn't like. Of course, hearing. he doesn't say African. <laughs> doesn't say African. <laughs> but, no, but, he's but, a less. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then at the end of it, kind of caps it off by saying, like, so if you can if you can tell when I'm lying, tell me was that a lie or not? So right. it, his way of turning back what he just did right, right so, back on him. I mean, obviously structurally, the scene's awesome because mm-hmm. it's just just two great actors. Mm-hmm saying cool dialogue mm-hmm. in a way that's intriguing and it's it's a slow I mean this is, they try, they take a 10 minute chunk out of this movie mm-hmm. that essentially technically from a plot perspective does nothing does really nothing. But, they could hold yeah. they could have the whole sequence where they show Christopher Walken who doesn't appear really ever again almost in the movie almost like he's he not I don't think after that uh, scene I think he's gone I think he's he? gone I don't think he's in the end the end the end shootout no, if I'm not mistaken so you could literally have this guy show up shoot Dennis Hopper's character and move on. But no, we have to... Tarantino takes his break and goes to the sequence. Now, my argument is, I think it's a great scene. Is it a good scene in service of the movie? Yes, absolutely. Because, because, uh, well, for me, at least, uh, it helps to um, uh, really give a little gravitas to to their situation in the first place. I mean, you know, like... uh, I mean, yes, I... Christian Slater's character doesn't know what happens to his dad, but we as audience members know that uh, his acts have consequences. So it's, um, you know, if you're cheering for this character at this point, you really, at least me, I, I really want to see him, you know, escape 
you know, his, the circumstances, you know, yes, it's a bad thing. He's selling cocaine. They're dealing with gangsters. They're dealing with, uh, we haven't even mentioned the uh, movie producer guy who's assault, but played by Saul Rubinek, who I love in this movie. He was in Unforgiven and he's in this movie playing, Wait, who's that? uh, Saul Rubinek, who's playing, uh, Donowitz, Lee Donowitz, the producer <laughs> who is hilarious in this movie. Yeah, and some of the dialogue good. between him and Christian Slater in the in, in that final, uh, hotel room scene. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's just so much fun to listen to. And that's the thing is that this movie is fun. Like fun, just you, you could record, at least for me, I could just record dialogue from a lot of Tarantino movies and just sit there and listen. You don't even have to watch. You can just listen to what these characters are saying and the way they're saying it. It's just fun to listen to the way music is fun to listen to. And this scene between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken um, is, is fun. It's fun. It starts off very tense. It becomes almost... It becomes tender. It ends uh, on a funny, kind of a funny note with it, like it were, there's a kind of a sense of relief. And then uh, it, you know, it, it, what happens is kind of inevitable. I mean, Christopher Walken's going to kill Dennis Hopper. I mean, Dennis Hopper from the beginning of that scene knows that he's going to die. But he's just doing everything he can to. But what's smart about it is he, he gets to bypass the fact that he won't get tortured and beat and he won't right. have to give up his son. So in some right. way, it's also a very smart strategic movie. He gets it over with quicker. Like he knows he's going to die. Well, right. let's just get this done quicker. I mean, right. piss this guy off so much that he just murders right. me straight up. And, and you know, it, it, and the, the rest of the story has these gangsters involved. You know, there's a Mexican standoff at the end and you, you want to know who those guys are and, and how uh, real a threat they pose. And so I think that this scene kind of sets that that tone like okay so these are guys to be reckoned with uh they're gonna shoot you in the head they're gonna cut your hand and throw gasoline on it i mean these are real these are real deal gangsters right they're not Which just a they're not just they're not just gary oldman with dreadlocks you know these are the real deal well and see this i, I kind of want i wanted to see more of walken i thought like because to, to just the back. way that walken says the name of people like I, I what's the name of the gangster lulu boyle the way he says lulu. i'm an associate for blue lou boyle like yeah, the way yeah. he says that yeah. it's just amazing. well i mean walken's voice is just yeah <laughs> now, he was in and he was in pulp fiction the year after this and what he also had another famous doing doing a similar thing where he shows up in the movie for like five to six minutes says playing an amazing, a much different character yes though. but you know saying great dialogue and then uh, gets out you know and also then he's got the, the in the same movie you got the ear uh, we got the the body and then the uh gasoline incident as well yeah it's just favorite trick of tarantino's but anyway yeah. to, to come back to your question real quick about you know is that a good scene in service of the movie or just a good scene on its own i'd say it's better on its own but um I, I would agree with Dave Moore if if we see Walken again. I mean, we know we kind of get the idea for the associates and what that you know that syndicate or that that mob uh, arm is like. But I would I kind of wanted to see more of uh, Walken, especially you 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 use that scene to build up what a terrifying villain he is, and then and he just goes away. You just don't ever see him again. Like, yeah, well, you know, then, but his associates are still out there. So you, there's well, some. Or, but, some are they the same ones even? Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, they, they are. are. They are. Yeah, 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 but yeah. it's a testament into this to this film. He's in, too expensive. They couldn't book him for more than that scene. <laughs> well, in rewatching it, I had remembered uh, Christopher Walken being in the movie more, hmm. and I had hmm. remembered Gary Oldman being in the movie more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're not. They're He's in, only for, in two scenes. They're only in, like a scene each. Yeah, and, and arguably the best characters in the in the movie. That's where villains go. But how freaking memorable are those scenes? If I thought they were in the entire movie, or thought they yeah. were more of the movie, like Drexel Spivey. Played by Gary Oldman. Great name, too. By it's me. amazing. Yeah. Uh, just the way he talks is fantastic. I got this gif up of Drexel Spivey. Yeah. Um, but I want to read this story. The reason I pulled this up, I think this is a fascinating anecdote. So Oldman, <laughs> in talking about the movie after it was done, Gary Oldman said, I heard this gang of black kids outside my trailer and thought, that's Drexel. I showed this kid my lines and said, does this seem authentic? And he, the kid changed some words. He said, that don't fly. Drexel wouldn't say titties. He'd say breastuses. <laughs> and then Tarantino responds, <laughs> Those kids were clowning him, and believed that, and he believed them because he didn't know any better because he's British. <laughs> yeah, but in the movie he does say titties. So it's <laughs> he says, but he says breast is says he says, he uh, he um, you you've been staring at a uh, screen with a bunch of breast hanging oh, out yeah, the yeah. entire time. <laughs> yeah, and then he says, I know I'm pretty, pretty but I am as pretty as a couple of titties. So um, <laughs> it's just like the way this like this concoction of this white guy with dreads. Who's obviously playing at being black? He's got and, that eye, and they just he's got that eye, Gla- and a glass smile. and a scar, and he's wearing. I don't a, think it's a glass. I think it's a, a cataract. Cataract. Yeah. I, I think that. that stuff I think that. Quentin <laughs> Who the hell knows what's going on in there, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think Quentin Tarantino also has a thing for bathrobes. I think he loves bathrobes, and Drexel is. In he's this, in a bathrobe. Yeah, that's true. He's just wearing a bathrobe and underwear. And Pulp at Fiction. At least in the '90s, he did. In the Pulp Fiction, <laughs> I believe there's a, a few people in that movie that are just wearing bathrobes and underwear. Uh, the the yeah. 
Yeah. Sta- Tarantino the, shows the up in the bathroom. Scene yes, the, you're right. Tarantino it, and um, Eric Stoltz he, and Jackie Brown exactly. and Jackie Brown. <laughs> so he likes he likes bathrobes because not. I don't think there was anybody in Reservoir Dogs in bathrobes. He and, and <laughs> should have been there somewhere. He got to be somewhere. If you go back to what Tarantino likes. The, uh, the epitome of cool or the epitome of cool is the following. It's bathrobes, mm-hmm. Elvis sunglasses, mm-hmm. and saying the coolest one-liner you can at the most yeah. opportune moment. Yeah. And that's what he creates in this highly stylized Verbal world. barbs and, you yeah, know, and because, because Clarence is a dork. Yet yeah. Clarence is still somehow cool. He's and I think so cool. And I think that contradiction is very interesting. He's a guy who works at a comic book store. That's a nerd. But he's still the coolest cat in the room. And that's interesting to me. And, and yeah. so what if he has hallucinations of Elvis telling him to kill a bunch of people? It's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> well, and, can we, and, and can we tell he's so that, cool? Yeah, well, I mean, if you don't th- if you don't think he's cool from the beginning, then you're not gonna be on board with this movie, obviously. <laughs> I actually no, I'm sure let me think. Did I think he was cool in the beginning? Yeah, I thought he was fine. In the bar? I know she with him in the bar. <laughs> and now, Mike interviews himself. <laughs> Mike, what, what did you think, honestly? This about is Matthew a segment Gould. of the show where Mike talks find, to him. Uh, did you find him cool? <laughs> Excellent question, first of all. Kudos to you. But <laughs> <laughs> The Mike Show. <laughs> with Mike. And Mike I got and this Mike. for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, so, do we... So, we can talk about the lead performances for a little bit, right? I mean, Christian Slater no, I mean, I, but, and, and yeah, Patricia I think, Arquette. I, I think mean, we need to talk about both of them. Yeah. Um, real quickly, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I, <laughs> but not too sorry, is it? No, too? not too sorry. But <laughs> news out of Hollywood. I don't think the movie. I don't think the wor- the the movie works unless you fall in love with Alabama too. Right. I think you've got to love her a little bit. Yeah. And I've got a humongous crush on nineties Patric- Patricia Arquette. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't like blondes normally. I don't like like it's. There's something about her like boobs. Her, well, she's yes, got, definitely the boobs, but, but also, also the has, voice. She has imperfections about her yeah, too her that teeth. I find more attractive. Yeah. She's yeah. more attractive yeah. because of it, mm-hmm. and I think she is so. Adorable in this movie. Yeah, she's she's like beautiful, but like in a next uh, girl next door kind of way. Yeah, I guess you know. I wasn't in love with her, but I I liked her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she wears these crazy outfits that are like obviously someone with uh, that doesn't really know that people. She she wears the kind of outfits that uh, is someone who doesn't care what other people think are are gonna wear. Right? I mean, she's wearing these like leopard skin uh, pants and crazy scars and. You know, it, it's like she's, um, you know, she's putting on a show for somebody at all times. For and, herself. Yeah, for her show. <laughs> she's I mean, tickled by her own. Yeah, uh, even, yeah. when, even when she's no longer a call girl, she's still, you know, dressing like like uh, someone's maybe male fantasy, I guess, which makes would make perfect sense. Well, I would argue that the movie doesn't work if you don't cast Patricia Arquette because she's a, she's a pretty thin character. Her job is to love Clarence. Right. And her job is to be every guy's fantasy, like you said. The, the, the girl that, what, what guy has not dreamed of going, what nerdy guy hasn't dreamed of going to a triple feature, triple, triple feature kung fu movie and meeting the love of his life? Yeah, or, like, <laughs> or doing whatever it is that you love to do as, as like a geek or whatever, like paint playing Dungeons and Dragons or watching and there episodes of a, a TV show or something. a well-endowed woman that falls in love with you because of it. Yeah. Right. And right. I think that if you... Who's view, paid to fall in love with you. Well, right. But if you view that... But then she actually... Right, right, right. But yeah. if you view that as the... Um, you know, uh, you, if you read that in a book or plot, you're like, "Oh, she's such a thin. She's a stereotype. She's a hooker with a heart of gold. Like that's right. that's ridiculous." But for some reason, Patricia Arquette makes this work. Right. And um, I don't think yeah, I, I, I think, think there's, there's, a, there's a particular way that she delivers that that monologue at the beginning, where she talks about why she's. You know, you you have to. You know, this whole idea of falling in love overnight, I think, is bullshit. You know, I think, I th- you know, like in real life, I don't, I just yeah, don't I believe agree. in it. You I know? agree. It takes more and, than and, that, and yeah. it's something that only happens in movies. Now, I know there are people out there that probably will say, like, oh, we met each other and we fell in love and we got married two weeks later. I know that that happens. But, it does happen, but it's, but it's, yeah. I, I feel like uh, the way this movie's portraying it, it's, it's purely in a cinematic way. It's like, this is, you know, no person would talk to another person like this. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say things like, um, I swear from this day forth, I will never lie to you again. You know, like you wouldn't <laughs> say things like that, but, but yeah. she's able to sell those lines because you know, they, they really are able to deliver dialogue with conviction. And Christian Slater is able to also do this. Like he's, he's able to be convincing, um, as kind of a, I would say a psychopath with a heart of gold. If we were calling her with a, like a hooker with a heart of gold, yes. he's kind of a psychopath with, with a heart of gold. Yeah, he's a total and, he, psychopath. and he, at that point in his career, he really kind of had a, an edge to him. And, uh, it's, it's a little bit sad that he wasn't able to kind of, um, kind of 
transition into like a more, uh, I don't know, whatever, what, whatever it was he needed to do with his career didn't really happen, I think. Well, I wish he was at the uh, Kurt Russell point of his career right now. Like where Kurt Russell just shows up in movies with and amazing he's cool. hair. And he's cool. Yeah. He's a cool older guy. He's yeah. so cool. But <laughs> Kurt Russell never had like, you know, Christian Slater was one of those actors like Robert Downey Jr. that had, you know, troubles and trouble in the, in the law. And it got, you know, he got a lot of press for bad doing whatever, you know, Robert Downey Jr. obviously was able to, turn things around in a major way that few other actors have been able to do. But Christian Slater, I mean, he's, he's gone on to be just kind of this good actor that you see on straight to DVD movies and TV and stuff like that. He's, 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 he's like a working Wasn't actor, he in that right? TV show leverage or something for a while. I, I don't, Slater? I don't know. But at the time he was like on the rise, you know, people were comparing, he had this, uh, in Heather's people were comparing him to a young Jack Nicholson because of the way, and mostly because of the way he talks, the way, <laughs> You know, I know you scoff at that now, but that but right, that's right. what at people time, were saying people, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, he's still in a bunch of stuff, but most recently, I remember seeing him in *Nymphomaniac*. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I've only seen Volume One, but he, he he's in that movie. I mean, he's he's been in a, a bunch of stuff. I just don't think that you're right. I don't think he ever had that that long lasting career where he sustained himself as a leading man, essentially. Yeah. But he's able to sell a lot of those scenes, like the scenes. There's like this tenderness between him and his dad, Dennis Hopper. I mean. I really bought them as father and son, you know, even though they don't look alike. I mean, I, I the way, you know, the, the way they talk to each other really uh, has this nice kind of tenderness. Yeah. And that's something that may, maybe this is why I've always been able to uh, kind of fall into Tarantino's world is that there's a lot of like stuff that's like, quote unquote, cool. Right. But there are a lot of directors and writers out there that have that same uh, sensibility. But they, what they miss is this real um, like Tarantino is able to actually get characters to bond with each other, to show some kind of tenderness. There's, there are these scenes in Reservoir Dogs. Have you guys both seen Reservoir Dogs? Yep. At the beginning of the movie between Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth, who are two, mm. uh, uh, you know, what, we don't want to give any spoilers to the movie uh, on this podcast, but they're, they're, at, at that point, what we think is they're two bank, uh, diamond uh, bank robbers, whatever. One of them is shot, and the way they talk to each other almost like yeah. like an old like an older brother and a younger brother, or or a dad or a mother. You know, there's this tenderness. The way you know Harvey Keitel's brushing his hair, I'm you know, bleeding. and like yeah, I know, yeah. Tim Roth, the weird voice. Yeah, one guy is is is, die, is clearly dying, and the other guy is trying to like make him feel okay about it. No, I, it's a, it's a fair point because you're right. Uh, people get Tarantino wrong when they try to imitate him, mm-hmm. and you know uh, when a movie like Boondock Saints comes out. You know, directed by Troy Duffy, which a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's a Tarantino ripoff with its with its joy mm. and violence and fast talking cleverness." That's a movie that doesn't get it. It doesn't understand that characters need to interact for right. them to be interesting. Right? So. They need you need to have characters that like care about each other. I guess you know, like one character has to care what happens to the other character, and I think that's what T- uh, Tarantino is able to do in, mo- in most of his screenplays, and in, for me, including this one. Um, so, yeah, that's what that's what works for me. I mean, then uh, Christian Slater, good. Really good, <laughs> really good. Drinkable, passable movie. I mean, this movie. This movie. It. What I think the things that uh, feel aged, uh, like they really haven't aged that well in this movie. Uh, we can, you know, the 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 font, the for the, uh, the title sequence. <laughs> Fonts never survive. Some, some of the music choices seem a little. Oh, bit, can we discuss you know, Hans Zimmer's? I, masterpiece of this movie. I, well, I love the soundtrack. I hate the sound. Dave, we've polar opposites this Wait week. A minute, you don't like you don't like do, the uh, soundtrack. Okay, okay. So it's um, one of my favorite soundtrack. It's, actually. It doesn't make any sense. Why that, is it so stupid? Okay, because, for, well, because is it a xylophone? What is he playing on? Okay, Ivan, go ahead, go. Sorry. First off, what Hans Zimmer is doing, or maybe Tony Scott's asking Hans Zimmer to do, in my Suck opinion, it up. is he's asking him to parody Badlands. Badlands. If I'm not, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, the Terrence Malick movie, which is a Terrence Malick movie that. That, that juxtaposes a very violent scenario between a man and a, uh, I mean, a, a man and a young girl or right. girl. It, it's also it, about two lovers on the run from the law. With Calypso music, essentially. Right. You don't right. mock Terrence Malick, one of the greats, I of agree the masters. With, I agree with Mike, though. I think it's incredibly overused in this movie. I think that the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. And the second time, you're like, okay, I, I kind of get right. it. Kinda it goes with the candy-coated look of this but movie. But it's such a Tony Scott thing. Like, how many times did he have to play Take My Breath Away in Top Gun? How many times <laughs> did he have to use his score? Like, I don't know. Tony, uh, you don't have to mm. do it so many hey, times. Hey, Tony, back it down, <laughs> my man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things I've always I, loved but, about the movie. But I do I do agree that it makes me think of true romance. Like, I hear this, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the world mm-hmm. I remember it being. Mm-hmm. Like, I, rem- I remember even going in, having not seen this for, you know, you know, 10 years almost, I remember the score. So mm-hmm. obviously it stuck with me to a certain point. I don't think it totally works though as much as you're saying, but 
Or maybe it's overdone. I think he, yeah, I think maybe, he, it's he, possible. He, I mean, he I, plays his hand too much. Maybe. I mean, I was I was speaking more specifically of the actual uh, music choices, like the song choices that you know, you know, they're usually more thought out in, in a Tarantino movie. But this in this one, kind of for the most part, feels like you know, there's like an Aerosmith song. There's um, uh, uh, there's uh, a couple Elvis songs, right? Do they get the- there? There's like an uh, at the beginning. I do love the rock like. I do love the rockabilly kind of music that that opens the movie and the way he's talking about Elvis and everything. I mean, it's one of my favorite opening. But again, this odd scenes. juxtaposition of um, <laughs> it uh, just it doesn't. Well, it's, it, there's this juxtaposition of this music, and then uh, then it shows the uh, the scenes of a uh, an industrial class city of Detroit. It's uh, like what movie is this from? Yeah, what's I don't going know. on here? But I, don't I mean, know. all I could think of was that I I really. I liked it a lot better than the opening of Beverly Hills Cop. A lot. Sure, I agree. Well, I mean, I don't know like I, they're both I mean, bad. I mean, they're both bad. Well, no, I, I disagree. <laughs> God, I mean, the similarities. Both are Detroit going to L.A. Like it's crazy. They, yeah. It was on purpose. I don't know. No, no it wasn't on purpose. I mean, I, I threw out through well, three wasn't, suggestions and wasn't, it was that's right. Yeah, so. And we picked. It's almost like I was asking you to pick a card, and uh, and we picked the right one. And I'm the movie magician. See, I think Dave did something to make us pick, and he made us think it was our choice. But right. it was some things thrown in there. Well done. So Eddie Murphy should be in a Quentin Tarantino movie, by the way. That would be awesome. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to see Will Smith and Django Unchained. Like I would have loved to have seen but a lot of actors. Oh, was he because Jamie Foxx got it instead? He no, turned he, the role uh, down. It was originally offered to Smith. Smith turned it down, and then he went to Jamie Foxx. See his second. taste. Well done, <laughs> Smith. Well done. I was gonna say, well done, Jamie Foxx. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yes, Jamie Foxx, yes. you and I have to talk. Oh my! God. I like you. We got to talk. Uh, Actually, I haven't seen. I haven't seen Django. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Django. <laughs> but yeah, any uh, final closing thoughts about True Romance? I, I unfortunately, like, I, I feel like just because Dave loved it so much, it kind of polarized me in the opposite direction. I didn't hate it. I, I just, I didn't love it, and I had some deep philosophical issues. But they, like, I, like you, you guys keep saying, there were a lot of scenes that were just very well done and very well executed. I can't. I think Dave's enthusiasm makes me like it more. Like oh, I good. think the way you talk about it, I'm well, like, oh, you're right. That was a good scene. Yeah. Like it's hard. Well, then to, I'll just stand here. But I mean, this same, movie's worth seeing just for some of the dialogue moments alone. I mean, yeah, I'm, but imagine like <laughs> every I, time I watch it, there's like a new line of dialogue. I'm like, that's my favorite line of the movie. But I can't imagine like. Um, like if I show this to my wife, she'd be like, "This is the worst thing ever. Please turn this off." Yeah. Now. Well, again, this, you, is, did, this is pure adolescent male fantasy. Is what did your is. wife enjoy it though? I think she was unharmed by this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no lasting psychological damage. This at isn't all. the kind was... of movie she would ask me to put on. Can but, I uh, ask you a final question, and maybe you can help me interpret something? I, wanna, I, didn't quite I also want to ask a final question. So. Or we didn't talk about night. Michael Rappaport's character at all. The uh, friend. He's just on an episode of Louis, so I watched this and Louis. And Michael Rappaport's amazing. He's, I, he's great. I like um, him. He's got a very weird kind of when he's doing the genuine genuine quality, and he's but doing he's, the driving thing. It's amazing. <laughs> Look at him shoot. <laughs> What's this guy? Shoot that guy. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> and then, the, and then the agent who's like, "Oh, okay. you're brilliant." Guy. Whoever. I mean, just even a small part like that. Yeah. Where the actor is just like the acting. The, the, the the There's not a bad performance in this movie. But Rappaport, again, perfectly cast. But in the sequence where he gets the call, where he gets the job, mm-hmm. at the very, towards the end where they were about to yeah, go sell yeah, the cocaine, yeah. he turns to Clarence and he says, hey, Clarence. And Clarence is like, what? And then uh, I think his name's Dick, right? Yeah, Dick's, Dick like, Dick's like, nothing. And they yeah. keep going, what was, it, what was he about to say there? Like, what, what does that scene mean? Like, I, I, I think that scene just means that, like, Stay focused I, I just want to experience this moment. I just, I just, let's just pause for a second to... Remember that this is a good moment in my life, right? I had a dark interpretation. And it's, again, it's like this tender, tender thing. I had a dark interpretation that he didn't want to. He got this job. Things were looking up for him. He didn't he want. Did, he want jinx he it. didn't. You know, he didn't want to go on this coke thing. He's like, I don't want to do this. Like, something good just happened to me. And he was about to ask Clarence if he didn't have to go. And Clarence looks at him. He's like, Wait, I'm your friend. I need to be there for you. That's the way I interpreted Maybe. that. But anyway. Yeah, um, I guess you could interpret it in different ways. And I, I like that he gets away in the end and he doesn't die with the rest of them. Because I feel right. like... Um, right. Yeah. Because even like Elliot... Uh, is it Elliot Blitzer? The... the, the uh, the, um, yeah, I think that's... Bronson Pinchot. Bronson Pinchot, yeah. yeah. Balky. <laughs> Balky, another life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of like, oh, that poor schmuck. He just got killed. Yeah, I mean... I mean, uh, the, he's oh, just he's such a he, he's such a loser. He's, he's such a nebbish Tarantino, yeah. Tarantino rarely uh, kills off people that are that are you know. You usually there's usually some scumbag quality to right, and the, I think the obviously I mean, when he's, he gets pulled over because he's a scumbag. And he's right. in a car he's with got a, hooker, a he's got a hooker got giving him a yeah. blowjob. He's got yeah. he's got a bag of cocaine next to him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you can't yeah you can't really feel too sorry for him, I guess. But um, 
What were you going to say your final thought? My Mike? final thought, the question was, do you think it's a better ending having Clarence die than having him live? And I would oh, argue... Oh, okay, this is um, interesting. Yeah. Because I, like I said, originally it was planned that he, would, he was going to die. And I th- actually think I would have liked it a lot more had that happened. Just even philosophical issues aside, everything else I had said previously, there's something really... I, I loved the opening dialogue where she's talking about, you know, it seemed like it was all a dream, but it was real. Something about that was so wistful and so bittersweet that... I really liked her character. I like. I love that monologue. I really liked it. And then when he survives, I'm like, but the, what did that mean then? It was just all this stuff. Like, it sounded like somebody who who really lost someone she genuinely loved. And that for me is so much more poignant than, oh yeah, the, the, it was the dreams. We went to a room and everyone was shooting at each other, and then we killed the way we sold a bunch of coke and ran out with all the money, mm-hmm. and then we went down to Cancun. Like that's like it cheapened that a lot for me. And, and I, that really it was a favorite part of the movie. And then I was like, ugh. Oh, I and just in general, I just, it's, I think it was. I agree. Um, I think that Clarence should have died. And I, I believe that's the way it was in Tarantino's mm-hmm. script. Also, did you notice that Tony Scott ends every movie this way? Every one, like he, there's like five Tony Scott movies that end in a Mexican standoff where different parties come together and kill each other, but our heroes escape because the other parties end up killing each other. No, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on Enemy Top the, Gun. Enemy of the I, State. I don't know. <laughs> The end of the movie, he gets the conflicting opposition part. They end up okay. shooting each other out and killing them. There's like two other Tony Scott movies that end exactly this way. And right. I think he's. A, I think he came up with this ending, and he's like, "We'll just end every movie." Guys, this, this way. is the best. There you are, can't top this. There are two Tony Scott movies that I really like. It's this one and Crimson Tide, which came out a couple years later, which was also had a, a little bit of dialogue written by Tarantino, um, but for the most part, was just a uh, you know a Tony Scott movie. But that's really, not the one really, with Sean Connery doing a bat. No, 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 that's a Hunt for October. Okay. Is the other good sub movie uh, that was one of a handful. Full of good sub movies. What? Um, no, U five seven. That's, I was going to say. Well, U five U five seven one. Hunt for October. Das Boot. What yes. just happened? What was that? So, well, well, yeah. String of syllables. Going off way on a getting going off on a tangent here. Um, well, what was this? <laughs> It's all right. right. That's, we're wrapping it up. <laughs> yeah, we got to wrap no, it up. We were saying, what, quick, pull me back in. <laughs> real, real in <laughs> well, What were we talking he about? He was saying that Tony Scott ends all of his movies the same way. Yeah, and we were I, discussing about I have no idea. In my, my opinion is, uh, if we're talking about like, I mean, I'm going to be the guy who says I'm I'm fine either way. No, I'm fine either way. I mean, I could, I could see him dying. I could see him living in the movie. I think in the hands of another director, I think in the hands of Tarantino, it would have made more sense for this character to die because I just know the way would, he would have filmed it uh, would have been different. And in the, in the way that, Ter- that uh, Tony Scott filmed it uh, and, and envisioned this movie. Uh, I think it, the last Boy Scout ended that he way, ro- too, so. He romanticized... Okay, well, maybe. That's right. I forgot that was Tony Scott. You know, he has a little more of a romantic... Uh, uh, a true view, romantic? A view of, 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 uh, of cinema, I guess. Yeah. You know, and... Um, I, I just... So, so, I mean, I, I just... I just for me, it, it didn't. It, that never bothered me that he lived. I mean... I, it wasn't... No, I mean, there were other issues, I think. But I, I, but I think there's... Something very sobering about the fact that he not only dies in, in the shootout, but also mm-hmm. dies in like a really weird. He just comes out of the bathroom, right. very very pulp fictiony, and shot right. in the bathroom. He gets shot in the eye. He kind of just whatever. walks out and gets shot in the eye. It wasn't even like he went down heroically. And I just thought that again, talk about poignancy. I feel like mm-hmm. there you go. Like talk about all this violence in the movie and how it's mm-hmm. been dealt with very flippantly and fun. And hey, we're going mm-hmm. on in the shootout, bang bang. But then this the reality of like he got shot and killed. Like mm-hmm. how cool is death and violence at this point? You know. But it's okay. He will rise from the dead and wear an eye patch. Yeah. He's so cool. And, and the fantasy, in the fantasy uh, sense of the word, violence is kind of cool. I mean, there's you know you have to, you have to acknowledge that. Um, yeah, slaying the dragon. I get we, all that. We but. go to uh, you know, the conflict is what makes uh, storytelling interesting, and like violence is kind of like the bare bones of con- like you know yeah, the conflict yeah, stripped yeah, right, the core, right? right? And I get, so and there's going to be you know if, if you're going to acknowledge that, then you have to at least in a sense. Uh, admit that it, it's it's okay to have violence interpreted no, and, and in again, different ways in, in a movie. Well, that's the thing, and I think like I I don't have a problem with violence, and I don't have, I don't have a problem with um in in a, especially in a again like, you know good versus evil is my favorite you know archetypical right. archetypical. There's got to be violence story, There's right? Exactly. I mean, you got to you got to do violence, like, no. and it's and it's a, it's a a um, critical part of life. It's part of life. That's mm-hmm. just that's that you know all throughout history. It's it's important, but. It's the way it's dealt with, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's the philosophy. You know, when, when you mix it with comedy, I just don't think it's something to be joked about. I think it's something to be treated heavily. Right. Well, well I mean, that's all. But not everything has to be good versus evil. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it can be. Sometimes it can be just like kind of kind of good versus kind of bad, or kind of good versus kind of yeah. good, or kind of evil. I, yeah, versus, but that, you know, for me, I don't. I don't like. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> Different well, tastes. Well, <laughs> I think that about ends it. <laughs> that so. about ends it. 
Dave and I are going to have a kind of good, line, kind of evil my fight. My favorite line from the movie, I just wanted, wanted, wanted to say, I wrote it down. It was uh, Saul Rubinek as the producer, Lee Donowitz. He's on the road. He's driving. He's talking to Bronson Pinchot. And uh, a guy kind of cuts him off or drives around him. He's like, don't give me the finger. I'll fucking have you killed. Just, you know, <laughs> there it is. Just, just Another the explicit <laughs> tag. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> we almost got out of the episode. Dave had a drive. Ah, uh, come on. There's a Tarantino episode. You're going to have <laughs> Bronson, a Bronson uh, Pinchot is amazing. I'm yeah. And, yes. and Saul Rubinek in this movie. Is yeah, he's also, says, it's also uh, very. Lee Donowitz is a great and there's also another scene where he's talking to uh, Christian Slater where he says, you know, Christian Slater's like, I want to tell you that after Apocalypse Now, this is the, you know, your movie was the best Vietnam War movie ever made. He's like, you know, Clarence, when veterans of that bullshit war say that, it makes this whole thing worthwhile. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just like yeah. these casual lines of dialogue. I will, like, so yeah. I will agree that Lee Donovan's is a great name, but he could, that character also could have been named Saul Rubinek and it still yeah. would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Saul Rubinek's a great name. It All is. right. So uh, closing out this Let's episode, uh, we've been talking forever. Uh, oh Mike. God. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find you on the internet? You. Oh, my oh, God. oh me. <laughs> Talk about me. offensive. <laughs> what? That, the word you is not offensive, Dave. You made it offensive. Oh. Uh, on that note, let me not tell anyone where, where you can find me online. Please don't find me online. <laughs> There's Mike running out the door. <laughs> this is, I don't even exist, guys. I don't even exist. Um, it is weird how that word has become. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you can find me at MikeMirandi.com. Uh, also on Twitter at MikeMirandi. Dave. Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z on Twitter, DaveGlanzProductions.com. And you can find me at Ivan Kander on Twitter. I write for a website called ShortOfTheWeek.com. ShortOfTheWeek.com. Website is Lucky Nine Studios. Lucky Nine Studios. Lucky Nine Studios. Lucky Nine Studios. So, yeah. Put on me gold. For next episode, I believe we are going to be doing a massive episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, guys. We are about to hit the summer movie season. We are going to be discussing one of the big summer movie franchises of all time. We're going to be talking about... Mac and me. Mac and me. <laughs> Last action hero. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Indiana Jones trilogy, uh, which Mike has conspicuously never seen. So What? Uh, guys, I wasn't serious when I said that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Come on. Uh, we are going Who to, hasn't seen this movie? We're not just doing Raiders of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom. We are going to try to do all of them. Um, I'll see if I have time to watch all those movies in the this time. Is, this so, is a way of kicking off the summer blockbuster season. So mm-hmm. strap in... You know, put on your big boy pants and get ready to sit down and listen to some movie. <laughs> big boy pants. And on that note, <laughs> buckle in, put the belt on the big boy pants, lock you it in. You can find us at reviewedpodcast.com. You put on your fedora or something. Facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. Uh, you can put your Email us on at too. contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Pants and the fedora. And be sure to leave us an iTunes review if you are so. And you're whipped. You need to play us out with some of the true romance soundtrack. I'll see if I can find it, Dave. All right, until next time. (laughs) Just like Hoosiers, right? How do I sound? Do I sound sexy here? Because this is about where I'm going to be speaking. Should I get the measuring tape and then we'll just call that okay. sexy number of inches? <laughs> oh, that's you're, you're out of sexy zone. Now you're into less sexy zone. Now you're into a uh, guy across the room. Sexy. sexy. Hello. Hello.